You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering. Those of you that are watching online, those of you that are here with us in person, it is so good to be together this morning and worship uh, the risen Jesus. Um, If you hang around Redeemer long enough, you're going to hear us talk about uh, our groups, which we call gospel communities. And gospel communities are smaller groups that meet together around God's Word to study God's Word in in a transformative way. And our hope for gospel communities is that as they do this, that relationships would form around the gospel that lead to shared life in community and a shared mission following Jesus together. And if you're new and you, and you want to get connected to the life of this church, this, these are really the best place where we uh, do discipleship, where we learn and live the way of Jesus. And I'd love if you can come talk to me after this. You can look at our website and find a group. We'd love for you to get connected and find a place, to, a group of people to, to grow with. Um, I also want to celebrate this morning that we've launched a new gospel community in Hutto. Um, we've launched the Hutto Brooklyn's GC, led by the Steinball family and Motzinger family. And so if, you, if you're here from the Hutto Brooklyn's GC, would you stand up? I'm going to embarrass you. No, I'm, not, I'm just going to make you stand up. Yeah, a couple of them are here today. Let's give them a hand. So if you're in Hutto or living out east, this group meets, I think it's Wednesday nights around 6 p.m. on most weeks. And so you can talk to the Motzingers, you can talk to me, Uh, we'd love to help you get connected. Or if there's another group that you're interested in connecting with, I'd love to help you uh, find a group that you could plug in with. And we're continuing to pray over these next six to eight months that we would launch two, three, maybe even four more gospel communities uh, so that we would have space for each person who's a part of this body to really grow in learning and living the way of Jesus. Well, this morning, uh, we are finishing up our God of Refuge series where we have walked through the Psalms of Ascent. We started the series with the premise that the Psalms of Ascent functioned as a source of renewal for the people of Israel. It was a sort of portable worship service, if you will, that in their exile, they could take God's word, they could hide it in their hearts, they could remember who they were and who God was. And we recognize that not only Israel was in need of renewal, but we are in need of renewal. If you remember back at the very start of the series, Pastor Jordan laid out four aspects of renewal that we focused on throughout this series. A renewed seriousness about God's holiness in our lives, leading to a regular repentance of sin in our lives, leading to a revived joy in the gospel, leading to a reinvigorated passion to live for the coming kingdom of God. And praise God, I think for many who have engaged this series through the prayer journals, through Sundays, through discussions in your GCs, that that many have experienced this sort of renewal. You've, You've tasted this. And it's not that we've arrived at it in this series, but that the Psalms of Ascent have kind of laid the groundwork, if you will. They've shown us the path forward towards renewal in our church. We've seen Jesus meet us week after week in these psalms, calling us to repentance and bringing us the timely grace that we need in that moment. Along this journey, we've encountered our need for forgiveness. We've looked at the need for healing from our wounds, for mercy in our suffering, for justice for the oppressed, hope for the discouraged, power for the weak, and last week we... We concluded with unity for those who are 
divided. And every week, Jesus has shown up as the fulfillment of the Psalms and the source of our heart's renewal. The Psalms of Ascent have taken us on quite a journey and at just the right time. And Lord willing, beyond this series, we'll continue as a church to run along these pathways and remember our need for renewal. Our text today is Psalm 134. And this is the final song in the playlist, if you will, as we make our journey to Zion, as we make our journey to the temple. And as we just read Psalm 34, you notice it's concise and it's clear, it's very straightforward. It's a final word of exhortation as we arrive at the place of worship to press in and encounter the glory of God. It's as if we've reached the final step of the journey, and before heading into worship, we receive this exhortation to go and bless the Lord, worship Him with all that we have. And here's the message I want us to walk away with today from this psalm, that God's Glory is our greatest good, that God's glory is our greatest good. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into our text. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning thanking you for the privilege of gathering as your people. We thank you that you've given us your word to guide our worship that you've given us your word to to call to our minds your marvelous works, your marvelous work of redemption in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to indwell our hearts, to open our eyes, to see your truth, to lead us into all truth. And we pray today as we open your word yet again that, that you who inspired this word would illuminate it in our hearts. Help us to press forward to worship. Let us not settle for anything less than your glory, for you have made us for yourself. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 134. We're going to read it one more time, and then we'll work our way through it a bit. Verse 1, come, bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. The first word of Psalm 134 is an invitation, an exhortation of sorts to come and worship God, to bless him. Right? To bless God, it means to, to praise God, to examine all that he's done, to, to recall all of his works throughout redemptive history and give him adoration, praise, and thanks. This psalm points us that God is worthy of our praise. There is no one or no thing more excellent, more beautiful, more majestic than he is. And we praise what we perceive to be Glorious. John Piper defines glory as the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfection. You see, as we enter into the temple to worship, we are beholding the glorious presence of God. Glory is God's infinite beauty, his perfection, his weightiness, his significance, his gravity. 
that causes everything else to orbit around him. In the temple, the Israelites would have read the scriptures. They would have recalled God's marvelous acts. They would have brought to mind all that he'd done, his rescue of them out of slavery in Egypt. And they would have beheld and remembered his glory made manifest to him. And their response, as the psalm points out, is to worship, to give him praise. In fact, praise is hardwired into us as human beings. We were designed to praise that which we perceive to be glorious. A few years ago, I I turned on the TV, uh, turned on ESPN in the evening to watch Kobe Bryant's final game. Uh, Full disclosure, I'm a Celtics fan. Uh, In the late 2000s, if you know basketball, it was a heated rivalry between Kobe and the Celtics. was not a Kobe fan at that time. But nevertheless, I turned on this game, this final kind of, Kobe had been on his reunion tour. He hadn't really been his normal playing self for a couple of years. But this was his final game, and ESPN was hyping it up. And I thought I'd tune in to see the, you know, the, the highlights and the memories and see what Kobe would say. And so I turn on this game, and, uh, and, and again, Kobe has not been his prime for quite a while. But um, all of a sudden, Kobe uh, starts scoring. And Kobe starts doing, you know, retro Kobe moves from, from three and four years ago. And he starts making a shot, and he starts making more shots. Before you know it, you're getting to the third quarter. Kobe's got 30, 40 points. Oh, my goodness. Kobe might go for 50 points in his final game. His teammates keep getting him the ball. He keeps, it's, it's just this magical basketball moment. Kobe Bryant ends up with 60 points in his final game. And I'm watching this thing just mesmerized. I'm watching it, and I'm just like, I, I can't believe this. By the end of this game, when Kobe gives his speech, and all, I'm just calculating and processing all of this as a basketball fan, I, I'm, just, I'm just in awe. I'll admit, maybe there was a tear or two even coming down my Celtic eyes. <laughs> and, and I'm literally like, I, I was watching it alone. My, my wife does not love basketball. Um, and I was watching it alone, and I'm just standing there like, oh, my, I'm like in the room just like, I can't believe this. Like, I'm wanting to, like, clap and give, you know, just like, are you kidding me? Like, Kobe, wow. Uh, You know, tears coming down my eyes. I'm in awe of what I've just beheld. I think I actually tried to go find Lauren and explain to her, hey, this is, you know, look at what happened. She's like, eh, I don't care. (laughs) Um, In a human way, this was a weighty moment. There was a sense of beauty and significance to what Kobe had done. In that game, we were reminded and given flashes of Kobe's basketball glory. We were brought to appreciation for his entire career in this very fitting finale, and it all manifested in an amazing way. It had me, a Celtics fan, standing, applauding in awe. Now, this kind of glory has its limits. Kobe, after all, is a human being, was a human being just like you and me. And certainly there are some who, especially in basketball, have taken Kobe to a, they've kind of deified him and made, made, made him, uh, elevated him to kind of this place of unlimited glory, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, but my point from this is, is, not, is not to worry about that yet. Here's my takeaway from this experience, that my heart and your heart longs for glory. When we see something beautiful, When we see something awe-inspiring, 
our heart wants to worship. It awakens our affections, and we know by nature we want to give praise. We want to lift our hands. We want to shout for joy. We want to give ourselves to whatever we perceive as most weighty and glorious. We were made, you were made, to worship, to hunger for glory. You see, God has given a limited glory to his creation. There is some glory in basketball, in a performance uh, like the one we talked about, like Kobe's 60-point game. There is some beauty in the, the glory of a musician putting their gifts to work to create a masterpiece of art. There is beauty in the sacrifice of a soldier who lays down his life for the good of his country. There's a beauty and a glory in a neighbor doing a simple act of kindness to another neighbor. There's a beauty and a glory in, in, in the Old Testament saints of old and their lives and their stories of Abraham and Moses and Joshua. There's a beauty and a glory that God has given to the mountains of Colorado, the safaris of Africa, the beaches of Florida. You see, the world is filled with God-given glory. And the problem is that we often settle and we stop and we terminate our worship on limited, created, human glory rather than pressing on to the ultimate, unlimited God of all glory. Now, sometimes I think when we hear this, we might make the mistake of starting to put God's glory in competition with human glory. Like it's like God is kind of over here and he's kind of insecure and he's needy and, and this creation, like we don't really know what he has to do with it, right? Material things and even creation, some, some elements of Christianity can, can start to say, hey, creation is bad, the world is bad, you know, stay away, be spiritual. It's almost like they become in conflict with one another. I either like basketball or I like God. Almost like God is insecure, <laughs> Almost like he wasn't the one who made the world and gave it its glory. What does the last line of our psalm say about God? It says, he who made heaven and earth. You see, God created the world and filled it with its glory. He's given glory to human beings and he's given it to his creation. The problem is not that creation is bad. The problem is that our hearts are bent towards terminating our worship on the limited glories of creation. Our hearts are bent sinfully and stopping short and worshiping those signs which were meant to point us to something beyond themselves, to point us to the unlimited, uncreated glory of God. Let me give you just a, kind of a, an image real quick to think through. Hopefully it's helpful. Um, Imagine you were getting ready to come here this morning to worship, to encounter the presence and the, and the glory of God through the word and through the sacraments. Imagine you were getting ready, and, and on your way, you, you, got to, you, know, you got out to your car, and you, and you just, you know, maybe you drive a really nice Tesla. That's in my mind what I think of a, a really nice, cool car. And you're just, man, in awe of this, this Tesla. Wow, it's beautiful, awesome. You're just like, wow, I can't believe I get this car. And then on the way to drive, you pass a field that's just a beautiful scene. Maybe, maybe you came really early. Go with me for the analogy. And you, and you saw the sunrise, and you saw you know, a flock of birds descending, and it was just this moment, this sun, like, oh, that is so beautiful, so glorious. 
And then along the way, you saw several other things and several other signs that were just these beautiful, glorious things. But, but what if rather than pressing through and continuing on to come to worship, you were to stop and set up shop, let's say at the field, and you decided, you know what, I, I think that this field is actually where I want, where I want to be. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give my affection to these birds. You know, that sounds ridiculous, but we do it, right? Where I'm going to, I'm going to stay here. I'm not seeing this as a sign to continue to press into ultimate glory, to keep going. I'm terminating my worship right here. I'm stopping my journey to the temple. You see, rather than pressing on, rather than seeing the glory in creation as a sign to point us to the transcendent glory of God, oftentimes we stop and we worship the signs. We worship the emptiness of creation that has a sort of glory, but it's a God-given glory meant to point us to God himself. We look to satisfy our soul's hunger for infinite glory in something limited. It's like looking to the moon to provide for us what only the sun can give. Rather than limited, finite glory in creation serving as a sign pointing to something beyond itself, namely the God who created all things and filled it with his glory, we stop short. Our worship terminates on the sign, and blinded by sin, we end up worshiping the creation over the creator. We end up allowing something infinite, I mean something limited, something finite, to have an eternal gravity and weight and significance upon our life. Our psalm today is a call to press into worship, to praise God. Not, not, it's not telling us, hey, uh, settle for less. In fact, what the psalm is saying is don't settle Don't stop along the journey. Don't settle for the sign. God's true substance awaits. Enter in and give him praise. Give him wholehearted praise. I want us to consider this morning where we have maybe stopped short. Where we have terminated our worship on limited finite glory, where we've settled for the substitutes of the world instead of the substance of God. What has kept us or would keep us from entering in as the psalm invites? You see, whatever is most glorious, whatever is weightiest to us, it's going to have a gravitational pull on our lives. Whatever is most weighty, is that thing that we've elevated to that place, the supreme weightiness, it's going to cause everything around us to orbit around it. For those who worship nature and set up shop there, it's going to, their whole life is going to turn and be about nature. And, you know, uh, what is the, you know I'm trying to think of the, the different brands that all my nature friends like. You know, it's, it's going to be completely about that. What is most weighty in your life that everything has begun to orbit around? You see, limited glory can supply us with limited joy, limited satisfaction, limited blessing. Like a drug, for a moment, it feels good and it feels like the solution. 
but ultimately it leaves us empty and ashamed. For a second, maybe even a few days or years, it seems to satisfy that glory hunger within us, but it's limited. It's empty of the true substance, the true life that your soul longs for. It's impotent to truly meet our needs. And you know this. I know this. That piece of dessert that you thought was going to just solve it in that moment leaves you feeling full and bloated and ashamed again. The alcohol that warms your soul and maybe numbs the pain for a second but leaves you worse than you started when you wake up in the morning, hungover. That second spouse who seemed like a better fit, who would ultimately be the one who you set up shop and and worshipped, who would finally make you whole and complete and would not be the same person of your first spouse, and yet eventually they don't do it for you. You're still relationally a mess. That job change or that move to to the new house, which you thought would would be the one thing to just make life okay, and you you set up everything around your life to do it, and, and and you get there, and it's still you're still discontent. Maybe during a pandemic, that next Netflix series that you just want to numb you and get you through the day after, after another hard week, and you watch it, and yet you wake up the next day as bored and, as, and, and living life as meaningless as you were when you sought that. Listen, family, the world is filled with glory, but it's a borrowed glory. It's a given glory meant to point to something beyond itself. You and I were made to give wholehearted praise. We are hungry for glory, and it's a good God-given longing, but sin has left us blinded, leaving us settling for signs all the while. God alone is the true substance. God alone is worthy of our wholehearted praise. He alone is safe and worthy to pour out every affection we have. He alone can satisfy. Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. See, in this final psalm, the psalmist is inviting us, in a sense, to come home, to come behold the glory of God in worship to praise him with our whole heart because he alone is worthy and he alone can satisfy our hunger. The enemy would like to stop us at some point along the journey, some place along the journey and have us set up shop pointing our worship to something else, to settle for something lesser, to look to something created. We might think of worship, even coming to worship this morning, and maybe you, you sigh or you're like, oh, i got to go to worship, right? Like sometimes we think of, well, I'd really love to do this, but man, i got, I got to go be a good Christian. <laughs> got to go to church. Got to go to the temple. But when we enter in, when we come to this place on Sundays, and God's given us his word, and he's given us his sacrament, and he's given us his spirit to pour out upon us. When we enter in by faith, when we give God wholehearted praise, he meets us. The psalm says that the, the, you know, the servants of the Lord, their role is to praise him, to lift up their hands, to give them their whole hearts. And what does God do? He blesses them. He blesses them. 
Church family, I think this exhortation from the psalm this morning is to enter in, to not settle for lesser glory than you were made for, but to come wholeheartedly and say, God alone is the one who I give my loyalty, my affections, my love to. In our psalm, the center of worship and the place that they would come would be the temple. But the temple was merely a sign itself pointing to the greater reality of Christ. And the scriptures tell us that Christ would come and he would tabernacle among us. He would would be the presence of God dwelling in us. And that when we come to him, we worship. The scriptures tell us that Christ took on human flesh. He tabernacled among us. He is the true temple, the true dwelling place of God. He's the exact representation of the glory of God. He's the manifestation of God's presence in our world. He died paying the penalty for our sin, for our worship of lesser glories. He's ascended and he's now reigning in heaven. And he sent the Spirit together, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And he's calling them together each Sunday to gather in a sacred way to continue to pour out his presence in spirit. Because of Jesus, we have access to the glorious God. We can come in here each and every Sunday, not not letting other things distract us or take our worship, and remember that he alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is the true source of life I think so often we are quick and open-hearted with kind of the idols or the, the glories of this world. We'll be quick to give our affections there, but we come into this place. We come maybe to God's presence, and we're a little more hesitant. We're a little more guarded. If anything, in this place, we should be ultimately free to say there is, there's nothing short of pouring out everything I am upon him. There's nothing dangerous about that. I think, you know, it, it tells us in this psalm to lift your, up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. I think sometimes we should just take that for what it is when we worship him, when we sing to him. We don't need to hold back. We can say, God, you're everything. You're glorious. If he is who we proclaim he is, if he is who Jesus has revealed him to be, what freedom and what, what energy for us to just say, we're going to come into this place and openly give him our all. What if we didn't stop? What if if we didn't settle and we came here and here every week hungry for the glory of God, not full on the, the, the junk of idols, but those signs that we passed along the way this week, along our journey, were merely pointing us and exciting us to further encounter the creator of all those glories. See, family, God's glory is for our good. His glory manifested through his word as we gather as the church, as we scatter in community. That is where it's at. And this very short and concise psalm is saying, press in. Don't settle. Don't terminate your worship on these little things that are good things, but they're not God things. And what happens is when we, when we make God the one who's most weightiest, when he's the one with the gravity in our life, everything in life begins to orbit around him. And these other lesser glories, they don't have to be bad creation. They become servants of their creator. They become opportunities. When I watch Kobe's game, I don't say, oh, I want to set up a Kobe statue and worship Kobe. I say, man, what a gift that God's given us sports. 
And we could see this beautiful little drama play out, and it could point me to the greater drama that he's done in human history. We could look at the the masterpiece of a song and not worship the artist or the song, but say, wow, God has given us so many talents and excellencies. and, and, And man, that reminds me of him. This mountain, I don't set up an altar and worship nature and creation and all that weird stuff, you know. Um, but, but I say, wow, God is so powerful. He's so big. He's so stable like this mountain, but it points me to worship God. And each week when we come in here, when we scatter, when we're gathered, when we're the church and we encounter God's presence, his weightiness, everything else begins to orbit around him. This morning, I want to close our series just by giving us an opportunity to reflect and respond. I know that many of us come in here, and you might even realize there is something other than God that has been weighty in my life. There's something else I've kind of parked the car, if you will, and began to worship. And I see, usually you'll know this because all my actions and all my thinking and all my, you know, everything's orbiting around this thing. And it's exhausting you. It's empty, you're bored, you're feeling ashamed, and the opportunity this morning is to say, you know what, (laughs) I'm going to get back in the car, and I'm going to go to worship, I'm going to press in, I'm going to go, I'm not going to settle for lesser glories, I need God, I need Jesus to show up in all his glory to satisfy my soul, that's the only thing that will do. And if that's you this morning and you're seeing that, the beautiful thing is we have this thing called repentance that we can turn away from that and turn to the living God. And he will not shame us, but he will forgive us and allow us to to come into his presence even as sinners because of the blood of Jesus. And we can put off those things and say, God, I want you to be most weighty. I want you to be most glorious because I believe that's who you are. And so I'm going to give you a moment just to consider and pray. And then I'm going to pray for all of us. And then in a few moments, we'll respond in taking communion together. So let's just take a moment. And I just want you to reflect in light of this whole series. What is most weighty? And where do you need to repent of setting up shop on other idols? Let's pray for a moment. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.